Hi! This is kind of an impromptu episode, because I wasn't really expecting this latest development in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard saga, at least not this soon. So if you have not heard, Amber and Johnny have reached a settlement over the entire, the entire, like, legal case. The whole thing. It's over. The jury verdict from a few months ago doesn't matter. The $8.35 million that Amber previously owed Johnny for a contradictory verdict has now been reduced to $1 million that she owes him, which insurance will cover. So I'll, I'll read from Amber's statement in a minute, but essentially, Amber Heard paid no money of her own to Johnny Depp. But before we even talk more about the settlement specifically, I'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant here because I was trying to figure out if I could find like any information on Amber's legal fees because Elaine, one of Amber's attorneys in the, in the Virginia trial, she had said during the trial that Amber had already racked up like $6 million in fees. And I was trying to see if there was any info on that, like what the settlement would mean for the overall money she spent on the case, because the settlement can't just void the amount that she owes in legal fees, right? So had Amber gone through the appeal process and then the retrial, I was trying to figure out like what would the likelihood have been that Johnny was going to cover her attorney's fees because you can you can go after attorney's fees like after you win a verdict usually and I was trying to figure that out or if maybe the insurance that was going to pay for the damages that she now owes Johnny if there would be a chance that they would cover a portion or all of her attorney's fees I just wasn't really sure and the frustrating thing about this is is that I'm not a legal expert, so I really can't, I can't assess that on my own. So I was really kind of looking for, like, you know, any legal experts possibly weighing in on this amount of money that Amber potentially sacrificed with the settlement, you know, like if Johnny could cover the attorney's fees, if Amber had won the retrial, or if any legal experts had weighed in on how insurance might normally handle a situation like this. So I definitely would love to get the opinion of some legal experts, but even though there are a whole bunch of people online who publish content called Lawyer Reacts To that have specifically covered inquiries related to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, I don't trust any of these people anymore. Like, I keep seeing things pop up on my YouTube homepage that will say, like, lawyer reacts to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's settlement, and I don't even click the videos anymore, even though maybe there is information in those videos that might be useful to me and might answer some of the questions that I have, because I can't fucking trust any of these quote-unquote experts anymore. I mean, I watch Legal Eagle from time to time because he seems pretty legit, but he doesn't do the same kind of React content, and he's barely covered the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case, so that's not really useful to me in this instance. And I used to watch Emily D. Baker back with, like, the Free Britney stuff, even though she said things around that time that were inaccurate about that case, too, because 
I I was a very big follower of the Free Britney movement. I was pretty actively involved in that, and I saw her once on Philip DeFranco's show, and he had asked her, because Britney had been, like, forced into this mental health facility against her will, and Philip DeFranco asked her if that was something that was legal under a conservatorship, and Emily said, yeah. <laughs> that's not true, at least not in the kind of conservatorship that Brittany was in. Brittany was in a probate conservatorship, not an LPS conservatorship, which in California, an LPS conservatorship is the only conservatorship in which a conservator can force mental health treatment or any kind of medical treatment. In a probate conservatorship, a conservator might have power over their ward's medical care, like they oversee it but they can't actually force any kind of treatment that is not legal at all. The only time that you can do it is if you put someone in an LPS conservatorship because that's specifically what those arrangements are for, is to put someone into treatment. And that goes through a completely separate court, it goes through a completely separate process, and it can only last a year, max. You can refile and you can get the LPS conservatorship replaced at the end of that year if they still need more treatment, but you need to totally redo the entire process, unlike in a probate conservatorship where it can go on indefinitely and you just kind of do some annual or semi-annual checks with the courts. And again, a probate conservatorship is what Brittany was in, and you know, it's kind of, it's a small thing, I guess, but it did kind of rub me the wrong way at the time because I was like, Philip DeFranco has millions of followers, and he had brought Emily on to give her expert opinion. And because she's an attorney, people are going to take her word for it when there's any sort of legal question, even though I don't even think she's ever had any experience in the probate division, so I don't know why she would be considered like an expert on that issue in particular. Just because she's an attorney doesn't mean that she knows anything about conservatorships, but whatever. It just kind of bothered me at the time because I was like, if you're... The legal expert that someone like Philip DeFranco, who has millions of viewers, is going to call in to talk about a specific legal process, then you should probably know the ins and outs of that process before you answer questions. And if you are asked a question where you don't really know the answer, you can't just really make up your own answer based on what you think might be true. It's just not true. It is plainly false that a probate conservator can force any sort of medical or mental health treatment onto their conservatee. But still, overall, she was going through court documents and giving updates that I thought was still helpful, because again, I'm not an attorney, so I don't know exactly how to read a lot of these legal papers and stuff without having to just Google a whole bunch of shit and having someone there to go over this stuff in real time as it was coming out was very helpful, but... Then with the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp thing, yeah, I, I, I can't even really watch her stuff anymore because there's a very obvious bias. I mean, she uses a lot of, she uses more reasoned language than some of the really, really biased commentators on this subject, but definitely there was a pro-Johnny slant to a lot of the stuff she was saying, and there was one time in particular where I think I was listening to, like, her podcast or something, and this was when I just had to totally just stop, because Amber had done this interview with some NBC show, like Dateline or something, you know, the one, it was the only interview Amber really did post-trial, 
but so there was a lot of weird conspiracy theories and stuff surrounding that but when i listened to emily's podcast she was definitely pandering to um first there were the accusations that something had been like edited out because the previews and the the ads that ran for the interview had amber saying something in the in the ads that seemed to be in a specific spot and then it just it didn't even matter really it wasn't so much people weren't pushing these theories because she had said something that they knew was fucked up and weird and that they knew that nbc edited out for a specific purpose it was more just that the the advertising that they ran for it and then the interview that aired it was clear that there it wasn't the exact same footage that it was edited and switched around a bit and so people were using that to try to push this narrative that nbc was covering for amber that they edited out something that amber didn't want in the interview why would they do that i don't know nbc doesn't really have any stern connections with amber i don't think they're in league with her i think that they care about their ratings enough that if she said something really dumb they would love that but whatever people were using the fact that there was any amount of editing that it was a reason to be skeptical of the entire interview and emily was endorsing that on her podcast which bothered me she said something along the lines of because the edits were so seamless that it it really just cast doubt on the whole thing because who knows what they could have edited out and it it bothered me because i i went to college for media and film and i know that there is absolutely nothing abnormal about that NBC interview. Things get edited out of those interviews or edited into or around all the time. And usually it's for continuity or clarity or simplicity. Like recently, okay, so I put up this video on my, on my YouTube channel recently that had like a really long clip from a Netflix interview that is between Kim Kardashian and David Letterman. And it, it was a longer clip in the actual Netflix special that I took it from. But I didn't need all of that stuff. I just needed a couple short clips of what Kim was trying to say. So I edited it down. I edited certain parts out just for clarity, just for simplicity. And it was really easy to do because it was just footage of Kim and david letterman and sometimes the audience and then there were a couple different angles you know close-ups on kim close-ups on david and then a wide angle of the two of them so all you have to do if one person is talking but you want to cut down what they're saying so it's a little bit shorter and a little bit more simplified you just cut to the other camera of a close-up on the other person that they're talking to so with amber and the interviewer in this case of course of course there are a whole bunch of edits throughout that interview where they're just cutting back and forth and it's gonna be pretty seamless because of the way that that interview is set up it's not weird it's not dubious it's just the way that these interviews go especially for a program like dateline where they have a fucking time limit you can't just put up candid footage. You have to cut around stuff so that it fits within the time slot that you have. And often, the person who's editing the interview itself 
is not the person editing the fucking TV ads. So they're gonna use different fucking footage. It just, it really bothered me because endorsing the idea that just because there were some amount of edits in that interview, that the entire interview itself should be cast with doubt is a really, really dangerous idea to endorse because it doesn't even just implicate Amber's situation. You can't put this amount of skepticism on every single form of edited media. It's bad, okay? It is dangerous to imply to people that nothing other than raw, unedited footage should be trusted. That's dangerous. And then Emily also went into complaints about the fact that the Dateline interview was behind a paywall, which, first of all, I, I understand why people get frustrated with paywalls because it sucks to have to pay money for access to information, but journalists do deserve to be paid and it costs money to put on a TV special like that. So the only alternative for a paywall in order to properly compensate all of the people that worked on that interview would be for media outlets to get paid in advertising money, which is a huge conflict of interest. We should not want our media outlets beholden to the demands of advertisers. That's bad. So while I get people being frustrated by paywalls, I, I really think you need to think about what the alternative is here, and if that's any better, and if that makes your news any more or less biased. But anyway, it doesn't even matter because Emily was just wrong. The interview wasn't behind a paywall. It was on Peacock. But Peacock accounts are free. I don't know if it is now, because now I've had to upgrade to Peacock Premium, because Keeping Up with the Kardashians moved from Hulu to Peacock, and you had to get premium to watch Keeping Up. But at the time that that interview first came out, I was not giving Peacock my money. I had a free account that I watched Amber's interview on, so it wasn't even behind a paywall to begin with. That was just a fucking lie. A lie might be a harsh way to put it, because it being on Peacock, Emily might not have known that it wasn't behind a paywall, that you didn't actually have to pay for the Peacock account, but it doesn't matter because she didn't check, and that's still bad. If you're gonna shit on Amber and NBC for putting this interview behind a paywall, you should at least make sure that that's what happened. And I honestly don't even know, like, I'm pretty sure that the interview aired on Dateline, like, on cable. Would you consider cable to be a paywall? Maybe you didn't catch it live at the time, but does that mean that you finding the clip somewhere meant that, that it was behind a paywall in the first place when it was just on TV? I, <laughs> I don't know. And it's also not like any of those decisions were on Amber in the first place. That would just be NBC making those decisions to edit certain things out or to put something onto Peacock. I, I don't know how this correlates to any distrust for Amber specifically. So I don't know why it was even being discussed in this way to begin with. And I definitely, definitely don't know why Emily D. Baker was talking about it in the first place. Because so much of her analysis in that specific scenario wasn't 
her giving her legal expertise. It was just her pandering to these conspiracy theories that other people were pushing out, that Amber was trying to make money off of this interview, and Amber was editing things out because she's in league with the people at NBC, which is ridiculous. And obviously it's not just Emily D. Baker. She's the person that I can think of just because I had been following her prior to the Amber Heard trial, but it's it's pretty much all of them. And I'm frustrated because I, I don't think that I can watch these people and their content at all anymore. But also, like, I get it. So first of all, to give Emily the benefit of the doubt for a second, she does a lot of live streaming for her content. And I think that it's very, very possible that she went into this trial completely neutral. But the consensus that a lot of people already had online was very, very pro-Johnny. And she was covering this story live, watching the trial as it happened, live with her audience. And she had a live chat that she was responding to. And of course, everyone in the live chat is on Johnny's side. There's really no pro-Amber people in any of these chats across the entire, like, blank reacts to Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial genre of media here. Whenever those live streams were going on, of course, everyone in the chat was pro-Johnny, and anyone who is pro-Amber is just gonna get fucking shit on and piled on and harassed for voicing their opinions, so all the pro-Amber people by that point, even the ones that did maybe exist on those platforms and in those audiences, they either learned by experience or example that they need to just not say anything. So of course I get how all these content creators could develop this unconscious bias leaning toward Johnny because human beings are social creatures and if everyone in your audience already has this certain idea, you're gonna start leaning toward that idea. And of course the trial itself was just unfairly biased against Amber in the first place because she couldn't even bring all the evidence that she had to the jury's attention. And that's just sort of the problem with this kind of content creation, is that everyone is subject to biases, and especially they are subject to influence from other people, but then they get propped up as the leaders of these communities that they themselves are beholden to, and they're subject to the influence of those communities, so it all just becomes this fucking echo chamber of madness, and I hate it, and I don't know what we're gonna do about it. I don't know what we're gonna do. Especially because, even outside of the unconscious bias, I know as a baby creator that there is a financial incentive to put out a certain type of video and a certain type of content. As some of you may know if you listen to all of my episodes, I am uh, recently unemployed and I've been trying to put my focus onto content creation right now because I am putting like some applications into some places that I'm interested in working at, but because it's around the holidays, employers usually push back going through applications and interviews until the new year, so even if I was dedicating all my time to sending out my resume, I'd still be unemployed. So, but, so the last episode where I I talked about this video that I had been working on and I was complaining about it because it took me a really long time because I had a lot of complications because my computer just isn't made for that size of project and ultimately the video I exported and uploaded to YouTube isn't something that I totally love because my computer just crashed so many times while making it that I had to rush to put it out and then 
It's three hours long, so mistakes that occurred while transferring it to different projects, different settings, and whatnot. Okay, I just paused my recording for a bit because someone below me is apparently doing some sort of project using, I don't even know what kind of power tools, but they're making a lot of noise and they're just not stopping. So I apologize for whatever you hear, but what was I saying? Oh, but so yeah, so there were mistakes that were missed while I was transferring stuff over and I, I didn't really go through and check the whole video again because checking everything a final time would mean sitting there for at least another three hours and I was just running out of time to do that because it had already taken me so long to put this all together and I was just praying that my computer wasn't going to crash again. So it sucks to put in so much labor and time for something that you upload and don't feel totally confident with and somewhat like flops. I mean, it's not a, a total flop because my channel is very small, it just started and most of my uploads are just audio uploads of this podcast, though I'm not uploading this one. This one's just for us on the streaming platforms. This one's not going on to YouTube, especially while I trash talk other YouTubers. But so I only have one other video, really, like a proper video that's been uploaded. And it got like 20,000 views after about two and a half months, which is very, very good for a channel with less than 300 subscribers. So... The fact that this newer one isn't doing as well, I shouldn't be surprised by, but it is frustrating because I can't monetize my videos until I have 1,000 subscribers. Oh my god. I literally, I just paused it and was like, I'm gonna wait and see if the buzzing stops. And it did, and then I restarted it and they did it again. But, so anyway, again, I'm unemployed. I'm about to run out of time to really dedicate myself to this project and I can't put out content with as much consistency as I'd like or with the kind of quality that I'd like because I- oh, there's the noise again. Okay, cool. Because I literally don't have the hardware for it. And I'm not just saying this all to like complain and turn this into a pity party for me, but the problem is is that the video that I uploaded I knew prior to uploading it that it probably wasn't going to be as popular as my other video because it's about Kim Kardashian and the misogyny that she's had to endure from the public and Kim Kardashian is just someone that you'll be way more popular making fun of than defending and sometimes for very good reason like I think there are totally valid reasons to not like Kim Kardashian and I wish I didn't feel like I needed to defend her against the misogyny that people just continuously thrust upon her, but... Oh my god, this can't be the noise of someone vacuuming, can it? That's not what a vacuum sounds like. But why does it keep moving around? Oh my god, anyway. So there are a lot of videos out there just trashing Kim Kardashian for kind of misogynistic reasons, and a lot, a lot of videos pushing conspiracy theories about her and her family, and it's way more lucrative to lean into those conspiracy theories because that's what people want to watch. And I know that that's what people want to watch because, number one, I felt the need to make the video that I made in the first place because I was getting so sick of seeing that kind of content. And number two, in the analytics of your videos that you upload onto YouTube, you can see where your video is getting suggested on other videos that people are clicking on and my video is getting suggested on the videos 
of other people pushing the fucking conspiracy theories that I am trying to debunk in my video. And there's a similar problem with the video that I put out that is more popular, that has almost 20,000 views, and definitely a better like to dislike ratio at the moment, because I was talking in that video about a subject that is a lot more popular, which is Britney Spears, and more people like Britney Spears than like Kim Kardashian, and more people have sympathy for her and see her as an unambiguous victim, and I was talking about her family, who just kind of sucks, and everyone kind of agrees on that, so I was criticizing people that other people already don't really like. Now, I didn't lean into some of the more sensationalist talking points that other people who cover Britney and her family and her conservatorship drama sometimes talk about, but I was talking about things like Jamie Lynn Spears and Kevin Federline and the things that they have done publicly that is uh, pretty problematic. So even though I wasn't trying to pry into Britney's personal life and I wasn't trying to push the conspiracy theories about her Instagram or her husband or any of the other things that people like to push their conspiracy theories about, my video is coming up in the suggestion of people who are. And I, I don't love that. And the thing is, is that I know that if I chose to pander to that audience, I would be closer to monetizing my videos. And that is frustrating to me as a creator to know that I'm fucking myself over financially by not making the Kim Kardashian is in a dirty cabal of sex traffickers because of her historical associations with Balenciaga kind of content that people apparently want. And it's also just disturbing to me as a human being to know that that's the content that creators can succeed with, especially coming from the Free Britney movement, which became such a big force on social media because of conspiracy theory TikTok, where people made cheap, sensationalist, uninformed, dangerous content that got hundreds of thousands to millions of views because it's engaging, and now Britney is free and those TikToks are still going. And people in Britney's life are being harassed, and I'm sure that this is all complicating her recovery process and her ability to adjust to this new free life, and it really, really sucks to see that happen, and the dangerous thing is that reasonable people are falling for this shit in this kind of content, especially with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Like, I can't believe the amount of content creators that I respect and think are smart, decent people whose coverage of the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial was just so clearly influenced by social media's bias against Amber, and I wish I could write all of those people off and call them grifters and hacks and misogynists, but the more depressing truth is that smart people are vulnerable to believing harmful, stupid things too. And I, I don't know what the future of journalism and media is going to look like, because content that proliferates misinformation is just so profitable and so easy to spread and so easy to fall for. Again, I just, I don't know what we're going to do. But I'll bring this back to Amber's settlement. So I'll read directly from what she wrote on Instagram. So, after a great deal of deliberation, I have made a very difficult decision to settle the defamation case brought against me by my ex-husband in Virginia. It's important for me to say that I never chose this. I defended my truth, and in doing so, my life as I knew it was destroyed.
The vilification I have faced on social media is an amplified version of the ways in which women are re-victimized when they come forward. Now I finally have an opportunity to emancipate myself from something I attempted to leave over six years ago and on terms I can agree to. I have made no admission. This is not an act of concession. There are no restrictions or gags with respect to my voice moving forward. I make this decision having lost faith in the American legal system, where my unprotected testimony served as entertainment and social media fodder. When I took before a judge in the UK, I was vindicated by a robust, impartial, and fair system where I was protected from having to give the worst moments of my testimony in front of the world's media, and where the court found that I was subjected to domestic and sexual violence. In the US, however, I exhausted almost all of my resources in advance of and during a trial in which I was subject to a courtroom in which abundant direct evidence that corroborated my testimony was excluded and in which popularity and power mattered more than reason and due process. In the interim, I was exposed to a type of humiliation that I simply cannot relive. Even if my U.S. appeal is successful, the best outcome would be a retrial where a new jury would have to consider the evidence age. I simply cannot go through that for a third time. Time is precious, and I want to spend my time productively and purposefully. For too many years, I have been caged in an arduous and expensive legal process which has shown itself unable to protect me and my right to free speech. I cannot afford to risk an impossible bill, one that is not just financial but also psychological, physical, and emotional. Women shouldn't have to face abuse or bankruptcy for speaking her truth, but unfortunately, it is not uncommon. In settling this case, I am choosing the freedom to dedicate my time to the work that helped me heal after my divorce, work that exists in realms in which I feel seen, heard, and believed, and in which I know I can effect change. I will not be threatened, disheartened, or dissuaded by what happened from speaking the truth. No one can and no one will take that from me. My voice forever remains the most valuable asset I have. I'd like to thank my outstanding appellate and original trial teams for their relentless hard work. I want to thank everyone who has supported me, and I turn my attention to the growing support that I have felt and seen publicly in the months since the trial, and the efforts that have been made to show solidarity with my story. Any survivor knows that the ability to tell their story often feels like the only relief. I cannot find enough words to tell you the hope your belief in me inspires. Not just for me, but for all of you. Thank you, see you soon. So my personal reaction to this comes in two different forms. So as someone who has developed a lot of empathy for Amber by this point and has seen what she's gone through and has identified the unfairness and understands to a small degree that this toll has taken on her, I mean, I don't think I'll ever totally understand. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine being in her position. I'm not sure that there's really any living person who can relate to the scope of what she's gone through since this whole trial kind of became public. I mean, even if you think about Meghan Markle, who has obviously been harassed maybe to a similar amount as Amber, she hasn't been harassed in the exact same way. Like, Meghan, for the most part, is being harassed by people that already had some very problematic beliefs, who are already very not progressive themselves. Most reasonable people would side with Megan with what she's been through in the royal family. But with Amber, even reasonable people are expressing the belief that she's shit in her own bed, so I, I can't imagine what it would be like to walk around the world with that knowledge. Like, I saw recently there was a photo that someone had taken, 
if like it was a selfie of a fan who had seen Amber in public and she was smiling and looking really nice and I just thought like holy shit I can't believe Amber takes photos of people in public because if I were her and someone even started to approach me I would just freak the fuck out and probably not even respond to them because even if they came up to you and were like oh my god Amber I'm such a huge fan I support you so much I would be kind of paranoid I think like, oh my god, what if they're making fun of me? What if they're going to do something weird to me? Because it's just gotten so weird. It's gotten so bad for her. I'm shocked that she has the kind of comfort level that she can take photos of people in public. So I absolutely understand why she took this settlement, because she wouldn't just have to win an appeal for this whole thing to be over. She would have to win the appeal and then have to redo the entire trial. And I can't imagine having to go through that again and i'm very very happy for her that she does not have to do that and especially that she doesn't have to pay johnny any money personally that it's all going to be paid by insurance and she gets to speak about her experience the settlement doesn't necessitate her silence at all so in a lot of ways amber did win but she only won in relation to the circumstances that she was given and those circumstances aren't a win at all. Financially, she has still taken quite a big hit. She likely did have to pay some amount of attorney's fees herself, and even if she didn't, it still definitely impacted her career and her reputation, and even just the amount of time and energy that she had to put into the trial would have impacted her ability to work regardless, even if her reputation had remained totally intact. I mean, this was a six-week trial, and she had to prepare for it for years in the lead-up. And obviously this entire thing is going to affect her reputation for the rest of her life. Because even if support for Johnny is dropping, and people are kind of starting to come out of this haze, a lot of people have definitely made their mind up about her, and no new information from this point will change that opinion. So, while the cultural consensus can change, and I think that over time... It will. She obviously is not coming out of this totally unharmed. And while the conditions of the settlement are so good for her, the reason that they're so good for her is because Johnny knew that she was going to win her appeal. That is me being speculative to a degree, and normally when people settle out of court, I try not to pay any mind to it because there's so many different things that go into a settlement that, you know, sometimes people really do just not want to go through an entire court process again, and it doesn't mean that they're actually conceding that they're in the wrong just because they agree to a settlement. But appeals are really, really hard to win. So for Johnny, unless he thought that Amber was definitely going to win her appeal, he had no reason to settle. Because winning an appeal means that one court decided that another court was an error and Usually, courts don't want to do that. They don't want to admit that another court fucked up. So, Johnny agreed because he knew there was a huge, huge risk in that appeal going forward. And if that appeal went forward and Amber won, the retrial would have to take place on a more even playing field, not the Virginia court that was unfair for Amber the entire time, and on a more even playing field, which would have been California, Johnny was not going to win that case. 
Johnny won the case in Virginia because he gamed the system, and if someone stopped him from being able to do that a second time, he would lose. So in a way, I am a little disappointed that the appeal isn't going forward, though I definitely understand why Amber wouldn't feel up to doing this again, even if there were no financial risks at all, which there always is going to be in any trial. Her having to relive the entire situation again, it's just too much that I wouldn't want anyone to put themselves through. But I still very much do want to see Amber get her good name back, and I know that the way to do that for her at this point is going to involve some kind of big media event and some big spectacle that can engage audiences in a similar way that the Virginia trial did. Because truly this was a war of publicity, and it was a war that Johnny essentially won, even if he may lose some battles going forward. So with Amber regaining her voice, and there being no gag on her whatsoever, I'm sure that she probably will tell her story at some point in some different form. I know that there were speculations previously about her putting out a book, and that would be a good way, and I'm sure a format that she would feel a lot more comfortable in than a trial where she's being put under this very direct scrutiny. And there are probably also a lot of producers in the media who would be very willing to take on Amber's story as a documentary or some kind of tell-all interview. And I I hope that that if they do that, that Amber is in really good hands because... I've said before, I don't think she's very good at PR on her own. And I want to clarify some stuff about that. Because the last time I talked about this topic, I got some mild criticism on the subreddit and the, um, the YouTube comments when I uploaded that episode onto YouTube. And I already responded to a lot of that stuff directly, but I do want to address it here because I do think that, oh my god, can what are they doing downstairs? Okay, but I do think that I came across in the last episode as a little harsh on Amber, and it wasn't my intention, and I definitely understand how some of the stuff that I said can come across as a little, like, victim-blamey, so I want to clarify what I meant and what where my frustration really is, and I want to say, first of all, I don't have any problems with Amber on, like, a personal level. Like, I don't think that she did anything wrong or that she in any way earned the outcome that she received. My frustration really just comes from watching everything unfold the way that it did and noting like the tactical errors that were made. And they were made ultimately because Amber's a human being and she's navigating this the way that a human being would. And while I think that someone who's like a little more media savvy could have navigated this in a more effective way than Amber did, you shouldn't have to have that kind of savvy in order to effectively navigate this kind of situation. Especially when no one could really prepare for the kind of harassment that she was going to receive. So I, I don't blame Amber at all for what happened. And really, I think it actually does say something kind of nice about Amber's character. Because while so many people tried to paint her as someone who is super manipulative and toxic and conniving, Amber Heard is the exact opposite of manipulative. And that was sort of the problem in that court, is that she didn't really know how to manipulate the audience the same way that Johnny Depp did. 
And that was something else that I had said that Johnny was a better storyteller than Amber. And what I meant by that is that Johnny was better at playing the part than Amber was. Because Amber, she went up there, I think, knowing that she was going to be looked at as possibly like an unlikable victim. And she put up her guard against that and tried to be really calm and reasonable and I totally understand why she would do that because a lot of people do have a tendency to victim blame and to say that well she's a bitch so she got what was coming to her but the tactical error that Amber made that Johnny didn't make is that while she was telling her story she wasn't really embodying her story and to a degree I understand that because for her to go up there and totally relive everything in her mind would have been really traumatizing and horrible for her and I don't think that she should have been expected to do that but the difference in what Amber and Johnny were doing is that the Amber that did exist on that stand was so different from the Amber that the jury was going to hear in those audio recordings those moments where she was really overwhelmed and she was getting really emotional because she was dealing with the abuse in real time where she was yelling a lot and didn't sound very good. Like, I think we can all agree that in those audio recordings, Amber doesn't come off the best. And while the people who support Amber can acknowledge that that is because she was being abused at that time, and so her behavior as a defense mechanism was going to sometimes try to match the behavior that Johnny was already using against her, the audience is just gonna hear angry Amber on tape and then calm collected Amber on the stand. And when Johnny had already been spreading the idea that Amber Heard is a liar and someone who fakes everything and is manipulative in how she presents herself, that dichotomy between the Amber that they hear on tapes and the Amber that they see in the court, it feeds into that narrative that Johnny had been spreading about her for years. Johnny, on the other hand, at times came across kinda, kinda messy on that stand. And that fits with the narrative that he's trying to make the jury believe. Because the jury is gonna hear him being drunk and messy, and they're gonna hear about times where he did stuff that can't really be explained by a sane person's recollection of events. So on the stand, whether intentional or not, Johnny was playing that up. He was putting on this act of like, yeah, I'm kind of a mess, and I am a recovering alcoholic who struggles with his sobriety, and yeah, some of my recollections of events are going to be a little messy, just because that's just who I am as a person. And he told a lot of self-deprecating jokes. He endeared the audience to him by appealing to the lowest points of his narrative that he was willing to entertain. Yeah, I wrote on the walls in blood, but that's just because I was so fucked up at the time. And I was so fucked up because I was being so badly abused. And that Johnny that you see on that stand, you can see, is like, oh yeah, that is someone who probably has gotten pretty fucked up and has also probably been pretty abused. Granted, I don't think it was Amber that abused him. I think that he probably does hold a lot of childhood trauma, but he's playing that up in the court. He looks like someone who has been through the ringer. Amber, by contrast, was way better put together most of the time, so in those small moments where she did start to show emotion, 
people would then just write that off as, oh, there it is. That must be Amber faking it, just like Johnny said. And that's sort of the problem. If I could give Amber any advice going forward, it would be in whatever new form of media that you do talk about your story, let yourself get a little messier. Help audiences bridge those gaps between Amber on the tape, who doesn't come across very good sometimes, and Amber on the stand, who is very sure of herself and knows what happened and can coherently tell you exactly how she had been abused. Because the Amber that's on those tapes is just not as coherent. And you need to help people put that together and understand how someone like the person on the stand can lose themselves in an abusive relationship that much. Now, maybe Amber doesn't feel up to that emotionally right now, or maybe ever, because, again, that is going to require her to kind of let her guard down and relive some of that trauma, and I hope that maybe, maybe her telling her story in a different format than the, the court, maybe that will help her feel more comfortable kind of breaking down those barriers, but I would advise her, don't... Don't put out anything at this point that seems too rehearsed, because that is, again, going to reinforce the narrative about you that was already put out by Johnny's propaganda. If you do anything in the future related to this story, do it in the most candid way possible. And let yourself look a little bad, to the point that no one can really accuse you of trying to cover anything up. So, I wish all the best for Miss Amber. I'm still not going to see that Aquaman 2 movie, but I'm rooting for her anyway. And I'll be back at some point after Christmas with some end of 2022 content. So that we can look back at this hell fucking year.